Let me add my good morning. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. We're, we're glad you're here this morning. I'm amazed at how far Green Tree has come in, in 10 years. Uh, we have uh, a beautiful candle setting here for the, for the candle lighting service. And uh, in the past, the, the, I remember the first year that we did this, I ran to the store and, and bought five candles, uh, not knowing, knowing that we're supposed to have Advent candles. Uh, and then one year uh, early on in our, in our career, since we're telling stories, uh, they put Debbie Holly and I in charge of poinsettias. Do you remember the year we got the poinsettias? And, and I came to the office, and they were all there, and I thought, well, you better water them so they don't die. And so I watered them, and Debbie came in the next day and said, well, you better water them so you don't die. And poinsettias don't like water, and you would be amazed how hard it is to find poinsettias on Christmas Eve morning when all the stores are closed. Fortunately, some of the ones we watered were fake, and so they actually still looked pretty good. So we've we finally begun to get the right people in the in the right roles here at Green Tree. But we are, we're glad you're here this morning, whether it's your first uh, Sunday with us or whether you're a, a repeat uh, or you're a member or, or a dear friend of ours, we're glad you're here. We're in the first uh, month of a 16-month study in the book of Luke, and so I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to, to Luke chapter 2. We've been here, this is our fourth week, and we're finally on to the second chapter, uh, and we're going to go at about that pace for quite some time. So uh, we're just settling in to Luke's gospel as we consider uh, the Son of Man coming into the world and what that means uh, for our lives. Uh, you've heard the saying, timing is everything. Uh, whether it's uh, in business, uh, whether you're trying to gauge the market, uh, that's a, a saying with which we're probably all familiar. It was a saying that my youngest son, Jordan, came to appreciate this last week. Uh, Cindy and Katie and Jordan were out uh, Christmas shopping, kind of probably like a lot of us, uh, doing some of their last-minute shopping. And uh, as they uh, were on their way through the parking lot at the mall, uh, my wife being the, the person that she is, you know, most of the time moms are trying to control their kids. Well, in our family, it's a little bit different. Everybody tries to control Cindy because she can get a little bit exuberant from time to time and carried away. And as they're walking into the mall, the kids are walking in front of Cindy. She's going behind cars, and she's scraping off the snow that are on the cars, and she's packing it into snowballs, and she's pelting her children in the back of the head with snowballs as they walk into the mall. Jordan, of course, isn't going to take this lying down. He's enough like his mother. And so Jordan reaches over to, uh, to grab some snow off of a car that he just happens to be walking by. The second he touches the car, the alarm begins to go off, <laughs> just trying to defend himself, not trying to cause anybody trouble, just looking out for himself, and the car alarm is going off, and the two people who own the car are sitting inside the car and think that this young 16-year-old is trying to steal their car, and so it was quite an adventure. Jordan found out the timing is everything. you got to get the snow off of the car where there's nobody around. You also maybe ought not walk so close to your mom while snow is in the area. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I put a premise up on the screen that was this. Because the Son of Man came, we know that God keeps His promise of salvation, and therefore we must trust Him even in unlikely circumstances. Let me say that one more time. Because the Son of Man came, we know that God keeps His promise of salvation, therefore we must trust Him even in unlikely circumstances. This morning I'm going to tweak that premise just a bit, but I'm going to stay with that same vein of thought. This morning I want to suggest the following. If God is faithful in every detail of redemptive history, I can trust him even in the hard places. Now I need to give you just a brief word of, of explanation perhaps. When I use that term redemptive history, I simply mean this. 
that God had a plan from the very beginning to offer salvation to sinners like you and like me. It was no happenstance that led Jesus into the world, nor led him to the cross to die in your place and in my place so that we could experience forgiveness instead of God's wrath. Well, that plan as it unfolded throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament is we call that redemptive, the, the salvation history, how it all took place. And so my premise is that God is faithful in every detail of his redemptive plan. And because of that, I can trust him even when I get to the hard places in my life. Now, why am I, why am I kind of being a bit repetitive early on here in Luke? Well, first of all, I think it's because part of our faith journey finds its biggest struggle at times in those moments where our circumstances seem to overwhelm us. The unsettling affairs of life, as it were. Think of those issues that you face that are not the pleasant ones. Think of the the struggles that you go through or the struggles that that your family goes through where sometimes you find yourself saying, you know, did, did God check out for a minute? Is he still around? Is he still paying attention? Does he realize the struggles that we're having presently? They may be health issues and they may be financial issues. Uh, this week, just a, a couple of the things that, that I dealt with and, and, and within folks in our congregation and just sharing and praying together and seeking to encourage one another, uh, we dealt with, with uh, some issues with kids, some struggles that, that, that the families are having and knowing just how to raise their children and love them even in difficult spots. I uh, talked to a friend this week earlier who had, who had lost his job and was heading into a, an interview process, and he was wanting to pray about that interview process and, and was concerned about that. Uh, my administrative assistant, Jenny, who a lot of you when you call Green Tree and are trying to find me, uh, end up finding Jenny. Uh, her very best friend, uh, who was diagnosed with cancer, uh, was in the hospital, and they thought they were just running some tests. She ended up slipping into a coma and, and dying the difficult places of life where there don't seem to be the simple answers. At times, as as Christians, as those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we find ourselves perhaps doubting God's faithfulness. But there's the flip side of that coin as well, too. It's not just in the struggles of life, but it's also to be found in the opportunities that we have. There may be a, a coworker that you're wanting to share your faith with. There may be a family member that you've been praying for. Uh, a next door neighbor that you'd like to invite to church, and yet you just you're not quite sure if God is going to be faithful. You know, Lord, if I step out, you know, will you work through me? Will you uh, work in this situation? As a church, we face that same kind of opportunity and that same type of challenge. Uh, one of the parts of our mission statement is to plant churches, and all of you who've been in here for at least three or four weeks know that we're embarking on that next journey planting a church in Lafayette Square down in St. Louis, that's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take people out of this congregation and away from this congregation in order to go and serve in that place. It's certainly going to cost us quite a bit of money. Are we up for that? There are moments when I look at at the enormity of that task, and since I live it day in and day out, I see it more up close than a lot of folks do, and I look at it and I say, Lord, (laughs) what are we doing? Are you really going to be in this opportunity? I heard a story years ago of a woman who became a missionary and her heart was for the people of Italy. And so she uh, got her missionary training. She went and got her her degrees and she went off to Italy. And she ministered in a small village uh, south of Rome. And for 12 years, year in and year out, day in and day out, she would uh, meet the people of that town on the street and she would share the gospel with them. 
She would talk about her life in Christ and she would offer that salvation to people. And year after year after year, she was met with rejection after rejection after rejection. For 12 years, there was not a single person who came to know Christ through her ministry. Where are we not only in the challenging places of our lives, the struggles that we have, but about, what about the opportunities as well? Is our faith in God, do we understand that he is faithful to his plan for salvation? And so even when we're in the tough places, we can trust him. Well, I believe that's what Luke wants to show us in a very pragmatic way. That's what I want to to consider this morning. I want to ask two basic questions. How does Luke show us God in the particulars of the Son of Man coming? And, and, And the bottom line is, therefore, can we trust his timing? Which leads us to the second question. What's the application for you and for me this morning? So with that thought in mind, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And then I'm going to also add this morning Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. You can follow along in your Bibles or follow along. The passage will be on the screen here. The Word of God, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and then in Galatians. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. To his own hometown would be another way of saying that. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to their firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, or uh, the way you and I would say, and she gave birth to their first say, when the time was just right. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Father, it's easy to, uh, to sit in church and nod our heads yes to trusting in you. Lord, if we took a survey in this room this morning and said, is God faithful, probably the vast majority of us would answer yes. Lord, it's quite another thing to take that faith out of this room and to apply it to the everyday circumstances of our lives. Father, when the challenges come, when the moments of doubt arise, when it seems like you are distant, far off and perhaps not in tune with my struggle, or with my opportunities. Father, at that moment, it may be more difficult to walk by faith, to trust that that you are caring for every detail of your plan for redemption in my life, the lives of others. The question comes down to, not can can my neighbor trust you, not can my spouse trust you, not can my kids trust you, but can I trust you? Lord, this needs to be an intensely personal message because it's an intensely personal question. Father, perhaps it's a question that we've avoided. We don't want to stop and think about whether or not we can trust you because we like the control that we want to exercise in our own lives. 
We don't want to give it up. Father, it may be difficult to trust you because we've sensed at time some disappointment that things didn't turn out the way we would have wanted them to turn out. So we don't know if we can trust your goodness. We get tunnel vision. Father, there's some of us who maybe are, are presumptuous this morning. We think we can trust you because we've been a good person. And as long as we're doing the right things, you're bound, you're duty bound. You have an obligation to make sure everything in my life goes okay. Father, I pray this morning for humble hearts. I pray that I would have a humble heart. That I would see this message for me before I see it for anybody else. And that you would speak your truth into our lives. Father, we need to hear the word of God this morning. I feel like I pray this every Sunday, but it's true, Lord. My, my words are irrelevant. It is only your word. That's one of the main reasons we're here. Because we need your truth in our lives. So, Father, forgive my sin through Jesus. I pray that it wouldn't stand in the way of anybody here hearing the message of the gospel. Lord Jesus, come and be our teacher, we pray in your name. Amen. I want to delve into just a little bit how Luke shows us the particulars when it comes to God's plan, how he pays attention, in other words, uh, to the details. Uh, You want somebody, if you have a project, who is a detail-oriented person. You don't want me to be the only guy running the show at Green Tree Community Church. I don't pay attention to details. It's not my strong suit. There are a lot of people in leadership here that always ask the question, okay, how are we going to get that done? That's a very important question to ask. It's a very important question when it comes to the redemptive purposes of God. And I believe in these verses in Luke, especially in these first five verses in Luke, we see God caring about the details. We see him dotting the I's and crossing the T's, so to speak, from an historical perspective. And that gives weight and gives credence to God's promise to bring salvation into your life and into mine. Beginning in verse one, it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Your translation may say that all the world should be taxed. And the idea was uh, that there needed to be a system in place to find out where everybody was in order that the tax could be levied. I'd like to take just a moment and introduce you to Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius. He was the Caesar who reigned from 27 B.C. until 14 A.D. He was the Caesar that took Rome from being the Roman Republic to really, in the true sense, the Roman Empire. In other words, before this particular Caesar began to reign, uh, there was really a republican form of government in Rome. The Senate shared power with Caesar. But when Caesar Julius, or excuse me, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius took over, he began to control the legions. He began to gain the loyalty of the the loyalty of the military. So that very early on in his reign, the Romans moved away from a republic. In other words, the Senate basically became a non-issue within the Roman Empire, and it became just that. It became an empire. Caesar took over. And because he controlled the military, and because he had a military headquarters right next door to the Senate, as if to say to the Senate, you need to follow along and make sure you do what I want because my soldiers are right next door. The Senate simply became a a, a stamp of approval for everything that Caesar wanted to do. And under Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius, the expansion of the empire took place. 
His influence reached as far as India and Pakistan to the east and controlled all of the Mediterranean from north to south to east to west. Perhaps you've heard this uh, term, the Pax Augusta, the Peace of Augustus. And it was under his rule that this worldwide peace took place that literally lasted for another 200 years, but it was a peace that was dearly purchased. It was an expensive peace, and it was a peace that he forced onto the world by his military might. Under his rule, the Roman system of taxation, the development of the network of roads, uh, the official courier system of the Roman government was put in place. In other words, he cared as much about the infrastructure as he did about ruling the world. And because of his rule, and because of his reign during those years, the Roman Empire flourished like it never had flourished before. But you know what? Empires are expensive. <laughs> Cost a lot of money to run an empire. I don't know if you've tried that lately. Try feeding five boys. Try running an empire. It costs an awful lot of money. And so because of this, Caesar uh, woke up one day and said, I wonder whether or not the tax man is doing what he needs to be doing. I wonder if he's making sure that the revenue continues to flow. Because, friends, trust me, the government never wants to spend a dime of its money. No government that's... I wonder if he's making sure that the rest only wants to spend your money and my money. That's true throughout all the ages. And Caesar said, you know, I've got this military. I've got this expanding empire. I need to make sure that I have plenty of revenue to pay the bills. And so a new tax system was put in place. And the structure to collect revenue was put in place. And God used Caesar and the tax man for his specific purposes, as we'll see as this passage goes on. But not only Caesar and the tax man, but also there's, there's a general influence of Greek and Roman culture that comes to bear in this particular passage. In those days, Caesar Augustus uh, decided that all the world should be registered. And then Luke writes, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. The unification in the government organization of the Mediterranean world began really in the Greek Empire. The Greeks under Alexander began to spread the influence of their culture, which included this idea of a unified government, unified world government. And so the language and the culture and the law and the taxation all began to be systematized, which is in the, a system that we understand. It still is a system that is in place in our government today. And the governor was empowered to enforce the imperial edicts. You see, it's one thing to, to sit in Rome and say, okay, we're going to tax everybody. It's quite another thing to be able to make, exert enough influence to make sure that every corner of your empire follows that instruction. The king can make any edict he wants. The question is whether or not his arm is long enough to execute those edicts. And because of the influence of the Greek and the Roman culture, there was quite an infrastructure that had been put in place that enabled Caesar's demand for taxes to be followed out, followed upon. So the governor Quirinius was able to enforce this rule. There was a structure in place. It was now safe to travel on the, on the Roman highways. You couldn't say, well, I'm not going to travel to my hometown because, you know, I'm probably going to get robbed. The Romans would make sure you got safe and sound to the place where you registered to pay your tax. And so Joseph didn't have very much choice in the matter. 
The order came from Caesar and eventually through the courier system, probably some months later, uh, reached the backwaters of Judea. And probably a couple of months after that, reached uh, the ears of the folks in the small town of Nazareth. So that eventually, probably several months, maybe even up to a year after Caesar decided that this new tax needed to be put in place, Joseph finds himself en route to Bethlehem. He didn't have much choice in the matter. He couldn't decide to not pay his taxes. Just think of uh, Ed and Elaine Brown of New Hampshire, who this last year barricaded themselves in their house and said, we're not going to pay taxes. They hadn't paid any taxes since 1996. Just as a little, this is free advice for you, okay? It doesn't cost you anything this morning. If you're not going to pay your taxes, you may want to move around a little bit, you know? You may want to be real subtle about it. You don't necessarily want to barricade yourself in your house with a, with a lot of weapons and challenge the tax man to try and get your money from you. That might not be the way to go about it. Joseph didn't have any choice. Joseph could say, I'm staying in Nazareth. I'm not paying my taxes. The long arm of Caesar reached all the way into his small town, and God used the infrastructure that the Greeks and the Romans had put in place because there was a much bigger issue at stake. The Roman Empire is nothing compared to the kingdom of God and his plan for salvation. And God had put Caesar in place so that he could use him. Quinarius in place so he could use him. Because he knew that Joseph needed to be in Bethlehem with Mary at a certain time in order that the promise could be fulfilled. Which brings me uh, to the next observation, the next text. And it's simply this, that God chose the right man for the job. Look at verses 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. There are two different ways that I mean that that Joseph was the right man for the job. First of all, I'm I'm thinking about it from a, a larger historical perspective. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you're saying, well, so what? Who cares? Who's who's David? Well, David was the great king at the zenith of the rule of the nation of Israel. We're under the King David and then his son, King Solomon. And God made a promise to David. God said to David, there will always be one of your offspring to rule on your throne and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. It will never end. And Joseph was a descendant of David. And in fact, Mary was a descendant of David as well. That's why they both traveled. That's why Joseph takes Mary with him so that they can both be registered as descendants of David. The promise and the prophecy needed to hold true. Isaiah promised and Micah, Old Testament promised, men that lived hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, that the house of David was going to be reestablished. And so Joseph was the right man for the job because he made sure that he and his wife Mary, who were related to David, found their way to Bethlehem. But specifically, Joseph was the right man for the job because he was a good guy. You look at Joseph's character. If you go back and you read the book of Matthew, and you read about Joseph finding out that his betrothed is pregnant, and he knows he's not the dad. And it says that Joseph didn't want to put Mary to shame. He cared a great deal about her. And so he intended to divorce her her quietly, just to set her aside so in a way that, that wouldn't bring attention to her, that wouldn't cause her too much shame. Joseph had a good heart. 
And also, if you read Matthew's gospel, there's an angel that's appearing to Joseph almost every other verse. And every time the angel appears to Joseph, he gives him some instructions. Joseph, I want you to take Mary to be your wife. Even though you're not the dad, don't worry about it. It's of God and everything will be okay. And Joseph says, all right, that's what you want me to do, Lord. That's what I'll do. Then when, then when Jesus is in trouble, it's, God uh, appears to Joseph. He says, go to Egypt. You know, that would be like saying to, to you or me, go live uh, in the farthest reaches of the world. And Joseph goes, all right, Lord, whatever you decide. And Joseph was faithful time after time after time. After all, you got to have a good guy on your side if you're going to get a woman who's eight-plus months pregnant to travel 40 miles by donkey. Not any man can pull that off. That's not a simple task. Guys who have had wives who have been pregnant, you know what I'm talking about. You cannot win the eighth and ninth month of your wife's pregnancy. You might as well not even try. And if you're a young guy here and you're married and your wife's pregnant, this is free advice too. Don't even go there. doesn't matter how kind you are. It isn't going to matter. I remember Cindy saying, oh, I'm just so miserable. You know, I just need my back rubbed and my ankles are swollen. And I'd say, oh, let me rub your back, honey. And I'd rub her back and I'd say, you know, I'm sorry your ankles are so swollen. She'd say, you think I'm fat? No, I don't think you're fat. Well, can't you see that my ankles are swollen? So imagine Joseph saying, Mary, we're going to take a little trip. (laughs) And we're not going to hop in the Chevy. (laughs) And it's not going to take 15 minutes. It's going to take us four days to go 40 miles. And it's going to be miserable. And Mary looks at Joseph and says, okay, if that's what you say, I'll go along. God picked the right man for the job. You see in all of this, whether, whether in the large picture of history and Caesar sitting in his empire in Rome deciding that another registration needed to take place or in the mansion of the governor as he made sure that the orders were followed out to a T or whether it was a little carpenter guy from Nazareth who had to make a trip to Bethlehem some 40 miles with his pregnant wife. God was paying attention to the details because he had a bigger plan. The historical framework was in place for the spiritual promise to be delivered. In other words, God's timing was perfect. Look at that passage in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, when the timing was just right, God did what? God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, friends, the bigger picture was not just that Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem. It wasn't just that, that Caesar was busy being, uh, being the emperor and doing all the things that emperors do, but it was all under God's control because he had the bigger picture in mind. It was the picture of redemption, your redemption, and my redemption was in the mind of God so that he orchestrated all of this in order that the Christ could be born at just the right moment. If you stop and think about this history of salvation, and you think about the time when Jesus comes into the world, and I'm not going to go into great detail on this this morning, but it's a fascinating study to think about, for example, the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys which 200 years before that would never have been possible had the Romans not put their transportation system into place. 
The gospel would never have reached beyond Jerusalem if it had not been for that structure. God's timing is perfect down to the moment. And because of that, because God is paying attention to the details, the details of your salvation and my salvation, I believe there is good reason for us to trust in God's promises and in His timing. I'm not sure what the timing is of your life this morning. I'm not sure what, what's going on in your world. I, I know a little bit about what's going on in my world. I see the pluses and I see the minuses. I see the struggles and I see the joys. And, and I know some of the things that are going on in our congregation. And I, and I know that there are some of us that can be tempted to say, well, well, if this is God's timing, you know, his watch must not be working. But friends, look at the care and the detail of God's heart. You may not understand, and I might not understand the specifics of the moment. But we can trust God for his timing. I think about coming to be pastor of Green Tree Community Church some uh, now almost nine years ago. And I think about uh, being born and raised in Kirkwood. And, and if you're going to be the pastor of Green Tree, you know, you really got to understand the whole Kirkwood thing. And I know those of you that live outside the city limits of Kirkwood, you don't get it. And, and that's okay. We, we love you dearly anyway. And we're a, little, we're a little skewed in the head. You know, we think Kirkwood is, is the center of the universe. And when Jesus is coming back, it's not really to the Mount of Olives. It's really to Kirkwood. That's just a metaphorical language. I know we're that weird. But God knew he wanted a church in Kirkwood, and he knew he needed some weird guy that got the whole Kirkwood thing. And so I was born here years ago and raised here. I think one of the reasons for the express purpose of being the pastor of Green Tree Community Church. But you know what? This is also a place where I'm free to be myself. I don't have, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to, to, to try and look good. I don't try that very often. I probably should try a little bit harder, actually, to look good. But, you know, it's a place where I'm free to be myself. I'm free to, to dream dreams and have ideas and say to everybody, I think we ought to plant churches. And, and I want all you guys to give a lot of money and time and effort to do that. And for some reason, everybody kind of goes, well, okay, if that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know how that works, except God's timing is perfect. And yet I look at the, the two years leading up to me becoming pastor of Green Tree, worst two years of my life. Probably the moments when, were the darkest. And I said, God, you, you can't possibly be in this. There's no way this is working out the way it's supposed to. What on earth is going on? The greatest struggles of my ministry life. And yet now, if you ask me what was happening, I can tell you exactly what was happening. God was preparing my heart because he knew at the time I was an arrogant jerk. And I can still be an arrogant jerk. But he knew I needed to be softened. He knew that this congregation didn't need a, a leader who was heavy-handed and obnoxious and rude, but it needed a pastor who would be kind and compassionate and gentle. And friends, we're not there yet. <laughs> but I think I'm on the way. And I believe that God's timing, though I didn't understand it at the time, was perfect to bring me together with Green Tree Community Church. I think of another set of, exam uh, set of circumstances in, in our lives that I didn't quite understand. And I think about uh, the first couple years when I was married to Cindy, uh, my wife, my first wife, and my only wife, I'm still married to her. I just want to see if you're awake or not. Um, when she told me that, uh, her dad died when she was four years old, and her mom remarried very shortly thereafter. And I said, where are you? How could you let us got in a fist fight right outside of the Scott Trade Center? I'm not kidding you. I was this close. Because we were walking down the sidewalk, and I hear some voice over the back of my head yelling at, at terrible things at somebody else. And I realized that what's being said is being said to a woman. 
And so I kind of look over my shoulder, and I see these two guys who are staggering down the sidewalk. They've obviously had too much to drink, but I can't figure out who they're yelling at. And I look across the street, and the street was very narrow street behind the Scott Trade Center where the cars are parked, and there's a young girl walking out. She's got a Detroit Red Wings jersey on, and she's walking by herself. And they're hurling insults at her, and they're screaming profanity, yell at me. And I start walking towards them. It'd be tough now because he's going to knock them out. They won't even know what happened to them. But you want to get me mad. Pick on, pick on a little kid. Pick on somebody who's defenseless. I go through the roof. 50 years old almost, and I'm getting in a fist fight. Fortunately, they stumbled away. And I looked at Cindy's circumstances, and I said, God, this, you can't be in this. This is impossible. But I can't tell you how many women she's been able to minister to over the years. I can't tell you how many times she's told her story. And people have come up to her afterwards and said, that's my story. And if there's hope for you, then there must be hope for me. You think about Janet's story this morning. I, 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 she hates it when, you know, she doesn't want any light to be shined on her. But you think about God's faithfulness. And I promise you, if we brought up her and gave her the microphone and said, Janet, were there moments when you felt like God had, you know, was nowhere to be found? She would say yes. But then she would also say, but time and time again, as Debbie reiterated for us, God proved himself faithful. I got a letter in the mail this week. I got it right here. I brought it with me to church this morning. It's from uh, this organization called Italy for Christ. And it talks about, uh, it's written by the, the director of the, uh, the ministry. I actually, I met years ago and his name is Gaetano Sotilli. Uh, and I got this letter and, it, and it's talking about their ministry. And he says uh, at the very end, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you. Uh, but at the very end, they say the, uh, for the past 25 years, it has been their vision to present the gospel of Christ to every Italian in this generation. Now, I told you earlier, I mentioned earlier, you know, about some of the opportunities and about a a woman who spent 12 years sharing the gospel and nobody came to faith. Well, the end of that story, that wasn't the end of the story. The end of the story is that in her 13th year in that village, Gaetano Sotilli's father took his wife and his six kids to visit this woman, and they all became Christians. 12 years, nobody listens. Finally, one family hears the gospel in response. No big deal, right? One family, eight people, 12 years. You do the math. You think about how much money it costs to support that woman for 12 years of ministry. But today, Italy is hearing the gospel because God's timing is perfect. Will we trust him?